ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. You're listening to the seventh season of Breakdown, an exclusive podcast of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution produced with our partners at WSB Radio. This season, Judgment Call. For more information, including photos, court records, and video, go to AJCBreakdown.com. Follow us on Twitter at AJC Courts and at ReporterJCB. Also, please join our Breakdown Facebook group to meet our journalists and ask questions about our story. Previously on Breakdown. So far, it seems like there are a greater number of folks that the state would be tickled to have sitting in the jury box. He wasn't afraid. He was uncomfortable with this naked man running at him. That's what he was. And because he was uncomfortable, his actions in using deadly force were unnecessary. Not only were they unnecessary, they were unreasonable, and they were unjustified. And then he starts backing up. That's, he pulls the gun in order to stop him from attacking, running, provoking, charging, whatever verb you want to use. That's why the gun is pulled out. Not to shoot, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And this man who he knows nothing about continues to run towards him. The first witness called by the state in the murder trial of former DeKalb County police officer Chip Olson is someone we introduced to you in episode one, Anthony Hill's mother, Carolyn. She's spoken of the heartbreaking loss of her only son and her frustration over how it happened. And she's even shown extraordinary empathy toward Chip Olson's wife, Kathy, and the couple's young son. State your name for the record. Carolyn Jumo. Do you have any children? I have one living now. Uh, And is one of your children deceased? Yes. Carolyn Baylor Jumo has been waiting for this trial for four and a half years. But she spent just six minutes on the stand and was limited in what she could tell the jury. That's because a pretrial ruling by Judge Letitia Deer Jackson restricted testimony about Anthony's military service and mental health history. So her testimony lacked the emotional punch that you've heard from her throughout this podcast. She could do little more than recite her son's resume. And is Anthony your now deceased child? Yes. When did he die? March 9th, 2015. Jumo tells the jury her son enrolled at the University of South Carolina but didn't graduate because he joined the Air Force. He entered the service in October 2008 and, she said, served four years, eight months, and 27 days. Was he diagnosed with any, illness, with any mental illnesses while serving in the Air Force? Yes, PTSD and bipolar. 
And was he medically retired from the Air Force due to those mental illnesses? Yes. Did Anthony suffer from any mental illness prior to enlisting in the Air Force? No. Was he prescribed medication by the Veterans Administration to treat his mental illness? Yes. And would he take his medication as prescribed by his doctors? Yes. Were there times when Anthony would not take his medication? Yes. And was he off of his medication on March 9th, 2015? Yes. What must I do to make you believe? Jumo said her son moved back home after leaving the service. Eventually, he'd move to Atlanta. Why did he move to Atlanta from South Carolina? To pursue his music career. Did Anthony love music? Yes. Prosecutor Buffy Thomas then shows Jumo a photo of her smiling son in his Air Force uniform. It's admitted into evidence and shown to the jury. After Jumo tells the jury that Anthony was a peaceful soul, Thomas says she has no more questions. Defense attorney Amanda Clark Palmer then walks up to the podium. Very sorry for the loss of your son, and we don't have any questions for this witness, Welcome back to Breakdown. This is Episode 7 of Season 7, Judgment Call. I'm Bill Rankin, legal affairs reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Christian Boone. I cover law enforcement and public safety for the AJC. The state began by seeking to answer an obvious question. Why was Anthony Hill off his meds? They called to the stand his roommate's girlfriend. She said his medication was locking his jaw. It impaired his ability to sing and even sleep. Then they pivoted to March 9, 2015. Anthony's day started with a workout at Planet Fitness. A manager there testified he checked in at 11.24. Nothing unusual about that. But when he finished, he left his car in the parking lot. Perhaps the first sign something was wrong. Griselle Torres, the manager of the Heights at Chambly Apartments, was next up. She was going to be an important witness for the prosecution. They wanted to show that no one who encountered Anthony that day felt threatened by him. You've heard the 911 call she made after seeing him acting so erratically. Just to refresh her memory... Here's the first 911 call made from her second floor office. Her assistant, Solange, was there too. Okay, 911, I'm addressing your emergency. Yes, uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Chriselle Torres. I'm calling from the Heisa Chambly Apartments. Uh-huh. And I'm calling because I have uh, a, someone needs, um, on the floor uh, in front of the office, like crawling. Like, I don't know if something happened to him. It's like, if you can send someone here. Ask me, do he need the police or the paramedic? I, I don't know. He's, he's, I closed my door, and he's, like, knocking on my door. But I think he's, like, like drugged. Prosecutor Lance Cross asks Torres to describe what was going on. And while I was talking with the operator at that moment, it's where, you know, he went up the, to the office and you know, was there on the, on the door, like, knocking, like, hey, it's me, can you open the door? Then Cross asks Torres what prosecutors repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly, asked every single witness who saw Anthony Hill after he returned to the apartment complex. Did he have any weapons in his hands? No. Okay. Was he yelling and screaming? No. Was he threatening anybody? No. Was he hurting anybody? No. Were you afraid of him? No. Torres then contradicts defense attorney Don Samuel's opening statement. Remember, he said that people in the office were scared. When you called 911 it was at that time, was it because you were fearful of Anthony Hill? No. Why did you call 911 at that time? 
because he was for me he was not acting normal he was not acting normal were you trying to get him help yes okay were you worried about him hurting you or himself himself cross asks torres about her second 911 call were you calling 911 to have him arrested to have him taken to jail no i was to help him because he was walking naked around the property why did you call 911 what were you trying to accomplish by calling 911? To come and check on him because he was not acting normal. Tell the jury why you locked the door. I locked the door because he was not acting normal to me. That was not the Anthony that I, that I knew. Um, were you afraid he was going to hurt you? No. Were you afraid of him at all? No. Cross then asks Torres what happens after she calls 911 a third time. This is when the dispatcher says a police officer has arrived on the scene. Then after that, I guess they went to the other side and I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't see that. And then I was in the office and all of a sudden I heard like, bam, bam, bam. So I call, I say, Solange, call the guys, call the guys. I want them to be here. If something happened. I don't want them to be hurt. So when Solange called Pedro, Pedro said, no, it was not me. It was Anthony. And then after that, I just left the office and run to the scene. And when you heard bam, 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 it was it were gunshots? Yes. And you said you ran to the scene. What, what, what did you do? Then I, I left the office and run. How? What? Anthony? So I went over there and when I went to the... I'm sorry. That's okay. Take your time. To the scene. Then he was laid down on the floor. Okay. Bleeding. And um, and then um, I was like, but why, why did they, sh why did you shoot him, or why did you shoot him, or shot him? But the police was like, um, somebody help, somebody help me, help me, help me. I guess he was like, also like scared. I don't know, but I went from there. I was like, why did you shoot him, or shot him? So I was, it was not my intention for him to be shot. You've got to feel for Torres, who has carried this with her for more than four years. Everyone who's followed this case knows this might have been avoided had the 911 dispatcher asked Torres more questions. Wouldn't it have been helpful for Olson to know that he'll live there? That he hadn't threatened or harmed anyone? The next three people called to the stand were the eyewitnesses to the shooting. You've heard from maintenance men Denny Hezeveria and Pedro Castillo before. This time we'll also hear from Miguel Medina, who lived in the complex. They were called by the state to establish that Olson overreacted, that lethal force was not necessary. Are they successful? We'll let you decide for yourself. Let's start with Hechevaria, the maintenance supervisor at the Heights. From the office, he used his phone to take videos after Hill returned from his apartment naked. That's where the playground is? Yes. Right here? That's where Okay. All right. And um, what was he doing? Just walking around there, like, walking like a military. Okay. Were there any were there any kids on the playground at that time? Hechevarria said he left the office to tell Anthony to return to his apartment. The police were on the way. He always was saying like, "No worry about, I'm okay. Police, my friend. No worry. I'm just waiting for the police to come." Um, he was laying down on the floor and saying, "Right now, I'm talking to my mom." Uh, he was saying. The, the name of the mom, hello mom, whatever. 
and he was all the time laying down the, on, the, on, the, on the parking lot. Hechevarria testifies that he was not frightened of Hill, but he said that when Olsen arrived, Hill started jogging at the officer. Then he corrects himself. He was fast. He was fast. Okay, was he sprinting? No. When Olsen emerged from his patrol car, his gun was drawn, Hechevarria said. And when Hill closed in, Olsen began backpedaling and yelling, Stop, stop. No one disputes that. But by this time, he said, Hill had slowed to a walk. And, and what happens next? That's when he shot him. On cross, defense attorney Amanda Clark Palmer gets Hechevarria to agree that Hill began running at Olsen. So the officer gets out of his car, um, and you see the officer immediately start backing up, right? Yes. And he's backing up fast. The Walk, officer is? Walking. As fast? Well, mm -hmm. he's walking backwards. Yes. Okay. Trying to put some distance between himself and Mr. Hill. Yes. And Mr. Hill doesn't stop. Yes. He does not stop. He messed up. Okay. Clark Palmer has Hechevarria read the transcript of an interview he gave to police after the shooting. Did you say to the investigator that he, meaning Officer Olson, didn't want to shoot Mr. Hill? Yes, I did. When Clark Palmer finishes, Cross has a few more pointed questions. The defense was asking you about how you, you kind of escorted Anthony back to his apartment. Yes. Did you have to lay hands on him? Did you have to put hands on him and force him? No. Did you, did you have to yell at him? No. When they asked you about your opinions based on what you observed that day, and what's your opinion on whether the officer had to kill him? No. He didn't, did he? Say again? He didn't have to kill him, did he, in your opinion, based on your presence this impression? No. No, he didn't. Did you think he was going to shoot him? No. Were you shocked? Yes. Mission accomplished for the state. The cross wasn't done. He asked Hechevarria if he'd accumulated 1,900 hours of police training. A clear dig at Olson's record. You ever had crisis intervention training by the police department? No. You ever had mental health training by the police department? No. But you were able to get Anthony back to his room without hurting him, right? Yes. This is Breakdown. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Fellow maintenance worker Pedro Castillo came next. He had helped Hechevarria deal with Hill that day. Castillo said he and Hechevarria first encountered Hill when they returned from lunch. He testified that Anthony was confused and requesting help. Here he is through a translator. Um, he was saying, well, he said, where do I live? And so um, I told him, well, right there. He, he lived right across from where the office was. And so I pointed and I said, you live right there. What did he do? He was leaning on me and saying, help me, help me. And so um, he was just saying, and so I was asking him, um, how can I help you? And he was, he was just leaning on me, and then um, he would just kind of lean over, and then he fell down to the ground. Um, and so then all of a sudden he just jumped up again, and then he just started going, well, since the office was on, a, um, on the second floor, he just started going down the stairs. To this point, Castillo and Hechevarria's testimonies were in sync. But that was about to change. Here's how Castillo describes Hill's advance toward the patrol car. Well, it, it, I can't tell you exactly how fast he was going, but it wasn't fast and it wasn't slow. 
Castillo testifies that Hill started out with his hands raised, then lowered them to his side as he got nearer to Olson. Here's Prosecutor Pete Johnson asking him to describe what happened next. So at this point, Anthony was not sprinting at the officer. No, not, 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 not by then. He was just going at the same speed as the officer. At any time, when Anthony was going towards the officer, did you ever see him ball his hands up to make a fist? No. Did you ever see him put his hands straight out in front of him? No. And you said before that he was um, unclothed, he was nude. Could you see, did he have any weapons at all on him? No. Johnson also gets Castillo to establish what the other eyewitnesses had said that Hill was about five to seven feet away from Olson when he fired the fatal shots. Once you saw the shooting, um, what did you do? Not until the police officer said, uh, um, help me. Um, only then did I, did I get closer. Okay, and what did you do? Denny and I ran towards where Anthony was. Were you surprised he was shot? Yes. Why? Well, we, we didn't expect Anthony to run, and we didn't expect there to be shots fired either. Defense attorney Amanda Clark Palmer was tasked with the job of cross-examining Castillo. And she had an advantage. Remember that Hill's family filed a lawsuit against DeKalb County over the shooting? Well, Castillo gave sworn testimony in that case. He had also been interviewed by police and testified at Olson's immunity hearing. He was boxed in by his own words— and Clark Palmer was not going to allow him any wiggle room. Here she is asking him why Grizel Torres locked the office door. To you, when you went into the office, it appeared that the two women were really scared. Not really very, very scared, but yes, they were, they were kind of worried because he was right there. Um, well, so my question is, were they scared? Yes. Castillo testifies he thought Hill was on drugs. He seemed disoriented, unpredictable, even warning, quote, the devil was coming. By the time Olson drove up, Hill was on the ground in the parking lot, Castillo told the jury. Hill then surprised him by getting up and running toward the patrol car. The minute he got out of his car, Anthony was already running. And so when he got close to the car is when he started backing up. But you know that everything happened very quickly. Yes. You thought that maybe Mr. Hill was going to try to attack the officer. That's what I thought that day. Clark Palmer then reminds Castillo what he told police after the shooting. And you said that you thought when Mr. Hill was running towards the police officer, maybe he wanted to scare the police officer. Yes, that's how I described it. And then yesterday you told us that when Mr. Hill got you know, very close to the police officer, you thought maybe he was trying to dare the police officer. That was just my way of describing where his hands were. Like saying, oh, you can't do anything to me. Like challenging the police officer. More or less, yes. Okay. Of course, we don't know what was going through Anthony Hill's mind, and neither did Castillo, but this was powerful testimony. Castillo also went on to say that Olson looked scared, maybe even desperate after the shooting. And Castillo said he heard Olson shout out, Oh my God, no. It appeared to you as if he was crying? Yes. Okay. All right, thank you, Mr. Castillo. Those are all my questions. As cross-examinations go, that was about as good as it gets. 
Prosecutor Pete Johnson knew the state's case had just taken a big hit. It's up to him to make up the lost ground. Okay. But you'd agree that 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 happens to people, that after they do something wrong, they feel panicked, scared, and worried about themselves. Would you agree with that? That's correct. Olson then got Castillo to once again say that when he got close to Olson, Hill started walking. At that time, Anthony was not running. I just want to make sure, is that right? No, he was just walking fast. Now, there were some questions asked of you about what you observed about the officer. Let me ask you, when you were there, were you surprised the officer shot Anthony? Yes, I was surprised. Why? I never expected that to happen. Why not? Well, I was just expecting, I just imagined that the police would would arrive and that they would arrest Anthony. Sometimes you see what will happen next at a trial. The lawyer has scored his points with a witness. It's time for the attorney to say, thanks, no more questions. But Johnson, who was walking back to the prosecution table, can't help himself. He breaks a cardinal rule for lawyers. Don't ask a question you don't know the answer to. From what you observed, did the officer have to shoot Anthony to stop him? Yes. Why? Because he was was running towards him. Castillo's answer stops Johnson in his tracks. He spins around, looks at the witness, and tries to clean up the mess he created. He gets Castillo to say yes, Olson could have used his taser, and it was clear Hill had nothing in his hands. Also, Castillo says again, he didn't expect Olson to shoot Hill. But the damage had already been done. And finishing up, Johnson steps in it once again. Just based on his demeanor, Do you believe from observing he could have been running to the officer for help? No. And how do you know that? Well, if I was going to ask for help, I wouldn't run. Why not? Well, that's just my opinion. And that's right. This is all just your opinion, right? Yes. Yes, it was just his opinion. But that's exactly what Johnson was asking Castillo to give. That was something to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, you could feel the momentum in the courtroom shift. Before Castillo took the stand, the prosecution had executed their plan. But now the state had basically just given reasonable doubt to any juror who wanted it. That was surprising. And that's the way trials work. You can talk to witnesses ahead of time. You can interview them. You can get them to write statements. You can record their interviews. And yet, when they take the witness stand, sometimes they veer off the script, so to speak. That's Decatur defense attorney Bob Rubin describing what unfolded when Castillo was on the stand. I'm assuming in a case like this, certainly, that they had talked to this gentleman beforehand maybe multiple times and weren't aware that he was going to say that. Um, and yet on the witness stand, he, he said that he thought the officer was justified in a sense. The final eyewitness was Miguel Medina. He's a heating and air guy, and he also lived in the complex. He was coming home early that day because, well, with it being March and temperatures in the 60s, there wasn't much work for him to do. It just so happened that when Medina arrived at the apartments, he was driving right behind Olson's squad car. He followed it, wanting to know what was up. It didn't take long for Medina to figure out why police had been called to the scene. Like Castillo, he's speaking through an interpreter. I looked, I looked to my left and I saw Anthony and he was um, squatting down, and he was naked. Did you know Anthony? We weren't a personal friends, but I just knew him because he, just from the complex, because he spent a lot of time 
um, either at the park, he would play with the kids, or he would listen to music. I'd see him walking in the complex. At that time, my kids were still young, and I would take them to the playground a lot, and I would always see Anthony out there. Medina kept following Olsen through the complex until he came to the parking lot. Olsen parked his car about 150 feet away from Hill, who was still squatting on the ground. Medina stopped behind the patrol car and stayed inside his truck. This gave him perhaps the best view of all the eyewitnesses. When Anthony was running, could you see his arms? Yes. Could you see his hands? Yes. Did he have anything in his hands? No. Was, how was he running? Descri describe how he was running. Well, he was running kind of like a, like a disoriented person. Not exactly like he was drunk, but not like he was totally okay either. Just seemed disoriented. Okay. Was he being aggressive? He didn't seem aggressive. He just seemed he was, like he was running like a disoriented person. Okay. Was he running very fast? He was running a little bit fast. Not, not real fast, but not slow. Yes. Medina estimated that Hill was just 8 to 12 feet away when Olson ordered him to stop. Unconsciously, Anthony just started running slower, but not a whole lot slower. Let me stop you. What do you mean unconsciously? Well, I think that Anthony heard the policeman yell, stop, stop. And so he just reacted and just started running slower. And plus, he was already getting close to the officer. What happened next? Well, he, was, he, he slowed down um, as he was getting closer, and the officer yelled at him twice, stop, stop. And then since he um, hadn't stopped completely, and so at a distance between Anthony and the officer of maybe six to eight feet, he shot him. Prosecutor Buffy Thomas then got Medina to step down from the witness stand. She had him stretch his arms out to his side, like he saw Hills as he advanced on Olson. Then she asked Medina to demonstrate for the jury how Hill was running. Wearing blue jeans and a gray Atlanta Hawks t-shirt, Medina looks truly uncomfortable being assigned this task. But he moves toward Thomas with his hands to his side, his hands kind of flailing a bit or clawing and uneasy on his feet. Thomas then tells Medina to do it again, instructing him to look like Hill after Olson told him to stop. Medina strides forward a few feet and then stops as if the fatal shots are fired. Thomas asks him if that's how Hill was approaching Olson. Medina answers that yes, more or less, but maybe he was moving a little bit faster. So Thomas has Medina do it again. This time he approaches a little faster. Did he act like he was going to hit the officer? He was running towards the, the policeman. I don't know what he was trying to do. He was running towards the officer. Okay. Uh, he didn't have... Was, were his fists clenched? I couldn't tell you exactly. Okay. Did he have a weapon? Okay. No. No knife, no gun, no baseball no. bat? No. Now it's Don Samuel's turn, and he reminds Medina that he, like Castillo, had already given sworn testimony. Am I correct that he was running the entire time? Yes, he was running the whole time. He never slowed down to a walk, did he? Just walking, no. He was always running until the shot was fired. Shots were fired, correct? Was, exactly. Um, it wasn't a, a slow jog. He started out running fast, and then as he got closer to the policeman, he ran slower. 
that's still running. Yes. The officer started backing up, did he not? A little bit. And Hill, Mr. Hill kept running. Exactly. And Samuel ended with this. You never heard Mr. Hill say anything, really, at all that day, did you? No. You didn't hear him say, help me, help me, anything like that, to the officer no. as he's running? No. You didn't hear him say anything like, I just want to talk to you? No. You, you didn't hear him say anything at all? Exactly. So to sum up, Hill was running fast, but not too fast. He wasn't slow either. It was a jog. No, make that a run. Uh, maybe he slowed to a walk. As for Olson, it looked like he was being attacked. Or maybe he wasn't. We've heard from three people looking at the same thing at the same time. And this is critical information. But the details vary. No wonder why many people find eyewitness testimony so unreliable, right? It will be up to the jury to decide. Next, on Breakdown. The jury finally gets to hear from Chip Olson. As I turn the corner slowly to make my way, the face is going towards the subject, building that would be my left. Uh, as I made that turn, the subject sprang to his feet and immediately began sprinting. It's clear not running, sprinting directly at me. I'm Bill Rankin. I'm Christian Boone. Thanks for joining us again on Breakdown. You've been listening to Breakdown, reported and narrated by Bill Rankin and Christian Boone, produced by Shannon McCaffrey, edited by Richard Hallex, sound designed by Shane Backler at WSB Radio, original music composed and recorded by Bo Emerson and Anthony Hill. Special thanks to Kevin Riley, Monica Richardson, Sean McIntosh, Brad Schrade, Pete Corson, Pete Spriggs, Chris Camp, Veronica Waters, and all the great people at the AJC. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite download app. We also invite you to listen to the previous six seasons of Breakdown. And of course, thanks so very much for listening. Ocean Breeze, Tropical Beach, Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song the celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.